Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today I'm excited to talk to McCavity Award winning Lev Rosen about The Bell in the Fog. Hello, Lev. Hi, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Congratulations on your award. Thank you. That was that was a that was a fun day. <laughs> I know it was. And you've also been nominated for several others. I know you were up for an Anthony, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Wanda won that one. Well, well deserved. Uh, but Lavender House was up for the Lambda, the Anthony for historical and the McCavity for historical. So that was really exciting. I think that's wonderful. Congratulations and Thank well you. deserved. Thank you. I loved this book. I'm a big mystery fan and I, I love historical mysteries and this fits in that. But I also find that this book is it's so today as well as it was back then. Um, so did so I'm gonna ask you, I love the name Evander. Is that something <laughs> did you choose that for a reason or was that just a character name you came up with? Uh, when I was writing Lavender House, one of the things I was thinking about was like, what's a what's a name for a detective? What's a good name for a detective, a historical detective? And uh the sort of formula I came up with by looking at other names is like a sort of elaborate first name and a very like common solid <laughs> last name. And so, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I went with a slightly sort of symbolic surname in terms with Mills. He's been through the mill. That's how I kept thinking of it. Um, I like it. And then uh, Evander, I was just looking at names that would have been not like top 100 popular, but top 200 popular uh, the year he was born. And I saw Evander and I was like, oh yeah, that works real well with Mills, Evander Mills. <laughs> and it's like the right sort of, you know, elaborate over the top. But then everyone <laughs> just calls him Andy. <laughs> well, which is, is funny. I, I play with a lot of names and stuff. And I think so often a name that has two syllables followed by one syllable or the reverse always flows so easily. So I'm like, I like that. So <laughs> it's just my little head tricks I play. <laughs> There's a reason I use both my middle initials in uh, when I, when I publish my adult books and that's because it has better rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have these sing song voices. That's what I look for in writers. You know, I, I want to hear a voice telling the story. And I do think that those things that make us more acceptable or warm and friendly or whatever that is, is a wonderful thing. I do love Andy. Andy is, he is just somebody you want to cheer for and hold at the same time. How much mm -hmm. fun do you have with Andy? Andy's great. I mean, Andy... He is sort of like, you know, hashtag sad boy, but uh, I love writing him because there is a, there's both a sort of wisdom in terms of, you know, he, he is familiar with hiding and so he's good at spotting people who hide. 
Um, but he also is extremely aware of how culpable he is, uh, you know, as his time, uh, from his time as a police detective in 1952 San Francisco. And he would be, you know, he had this system where he was aware of who the cops, what clubs the cops would raid next, and he would not go there that night, but he never warned anyone. And so he was part of this system that oppressed essentially the rest of the community. And it's only in Lavender House as he sort of, after he's caught, uh, the day, you know, the time his system screws up uh, after he's caught and uh, he contemplates suicide and then he's given this case and uh, Lavender House, you know, over the course of Lavender House, he sort of realizes what it could be to be, to have a queer life. Because before that he was a cop and then sometimes he went to the gay bars and had anonymous sex. And now like the idea of an actual community and a family, those were new ideas to him. And upon seeing them, he realized how culpable he was for harming his own community, this community that, that welcomes him. So especially, you know, starting off at the Bell of the Fog, he feels he has a lot to make up for, and he does. Uh, and that culpability and that awareness of culpability combined with the fact that he really did go in with the best intentions. He really did want to help people as well as hide. Um, that makes for an interesting character, someone who wants to help, but also has done so much harm. You know, that's one of the things that I got in reading The Bell in the Fog is the fact that we see Andy's growth in it. And it's a healthy growth. And it's, you know, I was thinking about uh, a lot of uh, detectives in some books are downtrodden. They're at the, you know, they're an alcoholic or they've come out of an abusive relationship or whatever. And those are wonderful. They have their place. But one of the things about Andy is he's had a tough go of it, having been in the Navy and then being a police officer. And, and you know, he's been outed seemingly a lot in his life. And as you say, he hides. But to see his progression from the beginning of the book to the end of the book is very gratifying because as a reader and as a history lover, we see that he is making a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that he, he, you know, he when he's given the opportunity to finally help people and he takes it, that is this moment of such empowerment for him. You know, we can all be empowered by helping our community. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree 100%. And, you know, a lovely thing that you've also done is you brought some characters back from Lavender House, but you've also given us a, a, a different cast of characters in The Bell. And he is in a community that I, at the beginning of the book, I don't think he sees how very much in the community he is. And his eyes get to open during the book. And that was very impressive. Um do you plot a lot? Um, I, you know, when I am plotting, when I'm, so uh, sometimes I have to submit an outline um, as opposed to just writing freely, but I, I use the same mentality when I'm writing the outline as I do when I'm just writing a book from scratch, which is uh, I don't plot too heavily until about halfway through. Until then, it's like very much sort of following my whims and being like, okay, well, let's what, you know, I, I, I set something up, you know, I was like, I knew I wanted to sort of use that noir trope of the detective walks into his office and there's his ex. Uh, and so 
uh, I set that up and I was like, all right, well, what's it going to be? And, you know, from there, I just sort of let it happen. And uh, about halfway through, that's when I'm like, oh, okay. I sort of have to figure out what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I plot the rest of the mystery out. Um, and then I go back and I make the first half fit, you know? Uh, so I, I let myself, you know, have just vibes for a little while until I feel solid in what I've created and then the characters especially. I think once the characters feel alive in my mind, that's when I can focus on plot more. Do When you're writing, does a voice come to you? And <laughs> I don't necessarily mean, you know, the, the multiple voices, but I mean, <laughs> does do you ever create a character that it so speaks to you that you simply write what you hear? I mean, I think all my characters to a certain extent are that. Sometimes you'll, as I write, like there'll be like an off note almost. It's like playing piano. Not that I'm very good at that, but uh, you know, you, 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 your fingers are going to where you know they're supposed to and then they hit the wrong thing. And that's the moment, you know, you can delete and be like, and you have to think <laughs> about it and be like, what is the right note here? What is the right sentence? What is the right voice? Um, uh, so, but generally the voice comes as I write, especially oh. since it's first person, it's sort of unavoidable. Um, and then I think it becomes stronger in the edit. So much of writing is in the edit, but the voice is, it, Andy's voice is pretty solid and with me now. <laughs> <laughs> he is with me as well. I just, you know, once again, I really want to say that his progression was just so much fun for me because you Thank see... You. You see him blossoming. And then, of course, I'm curious at how many of these may return again. So we'll get to that in a little while. <laughs> I did see you on a panel at VoucherCon, and there was something that you mentioned there that I didn't know, and I was very impressed with it. And that's the California Supreme Court ruling in, was it 1951, about gay bars? Yeah. Uh, so essentially what happened in... Uh, 5152 was the Black Cat, which was a gay bar, um, was constantly raided and shut down and had its liquor license taken away. And the reason that could happen is because it was illegal to serve alcohol in a place where queer people congregated, because a place where queer people congregated was considered sort of a house of ill repute in the same way a brothel would be. Um, and so they were constantly raided and um, uh, liquor license taken away, reapply for liquor license by essentially being like, it wasn't intentional officer, they just happened to be there. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's interesting, you look at the cases from the time and there's so much of uh, this idea that like bartenders are supposed to be able to recognize homosexuals so they cannot serve them. And that was all over the country too, it was just like, yes. The, the, all this like sort of case law about like, well, you can tell, you can tell really, <laughs> really like wacky stuff. Um, and uh, anyway, so they kept getting raided and uh, the owner of the bar, who is a straight man, uh, sued the state of California and essentially said, you know, you can't keep taking the li liquor license away because it should not be illegal to, uh, to serve alcohol to a particular set of people. And the state of California Supreme Court said, you're right, with caveats. They said, <laughs> uh, you know, the the ruling was very specific and like laid out details in that it was essentially, it, it, it is not illegal to serve alcohol to gay people. However, 
a uh, place where indecent acts are happening. And this would mean two people of the same sex dancing, uh, kissing, holding hands, anything remotely, uh, you know, queer essentially would still be illegal. And you could still definitely take away a liquor license then shut the place down. Uh, so for a few years, essentially like 52 to 55, and then the laws changed again, um, gay bars were technically legal in the state of California, uh, which is wild. And it opened up a lot of interesting opportunities, but the police were still constantly raiding them. They were looking for new things. They were like so angry about this. <laughs> they were uh, looking for uh, new ways to shut these places down while also making sure that they were like taking a lot of bribes from these places so as not to raid them as often. Um, and you know, there, there's the uh, stories of them planting drugs in these places. So it, it's an interesting time, the mid fifties in California for, to be a gay bar, because on the one hand, more freedom than you've ever had, like, yes. yeah, you can be a gay bar. That's wild. On the other hand, like with more freedom as always comes more persecution, uh, more visibility, more persecution. So like you'd have drag acts advertised in the papers um and straight people would go watch the fairies it was a whole thing um uh, but at the same time there would be constant raids and uh you know you were you had a big target on your back yeah and i i think the whole abuse of power uh is we still see it today we just see it in maybe in slightly different ways you know the trans community is so put down nowadays and um, I, I was telling you before we recorded, a friend of mine was in a raid in Miami in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. There was a period of time for a couple of years where they were raiding gay bars again. And it's just it's hard to imagine that some things keep repeating itself. Yeah. And it's interesting, the research, you know, doing all this research, and I get asked the question a lot of like, is it super depressing, especially watching it repeat now? And uh, it's not, the, I, I know that's not the answer anyone ever expects and like some people are disappointed at, but doing all the research into the terrible stuff that happened to us then and watching it unfold again in a slightly different form now is actually sort of, it brings me a sense of peace. And the reason is when you do this research, you can't just find the bad stuff you find no. the good stuff too, if you're doing it right. And the truth is these, you know, terrible times, we had thriving communities, people fell in love, people found each other. And, you know, the fact that we had those then, and we, it means that, you know, we have it then. The, the thing I always say is like writing a noir uh, gay history piece makes perfect sense because being gay in the 50s was a noir experience. You know, the world's closing in around you, everyone's out to get you, very classically noir. But you would find light in the darkness in the form of community. And yes. like all these stories I read, uh, all this history I uncover, there's so much light in that darkness. There's so much joy in these communities. And uh, seeing that in the past and seeing how they survived makes me very hopeful for what is happening now. Um, uh, so I, I, I know it doesn't make too much sense, but 
Well, um, I, well, I, th to me, it makes sense because one of the things is we have to celebrate where we've been to say that we can celebrate where we are today. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of brave people who came before us and it wasn't just the fifties. There were lots of brave people in the twenties, you yeah. know, in the, cause part of what happens in the <laughs> bell is there's the Navy going on. And mm -hmm. in World War II, it was really quite easy to be gay as long as you were fighting for the country. You know, they gave people shared rooms and shared bunks that they knew were gay because they wanted them to be happy so they could keep fighting. Mm -hmm. Of course, once a war is over, that becomes a very different conversation because now we need to get rid of people because we have to downsize. So what they did with the lavender scare is, you know, they downsized. <laughs> <laughs> they downsized in a very horrific way. But I think if we don't learn our history, then we definitely are destined to repeat it. Yeah. And, you know, World War II is so interesting. And so much of it, you know, I did so much research on that for this book, too, and Andy's past in the Navy, because World War II in many ways formed a lot of these queer communities, you know, mm -hmm. The draft funneled all those one guy, one gay guy in their town into a base, and suddenly there were 30 of them, and they find each other and they had this community. And even towards the later half of the war, when the military did start cracking down on queer people and you know institutionalizing them, in those institutions, they all found each other. They would like put on drag shows, they had like a great time. It was, uh, and you know, it wasn't all great. They got blue ticketed, which is never good, but they still created these these relationships and friendships um, that you know lasted for years afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I met uh, probably 10, 15 years ago. I met two gentlemen in Palm Springs that had uh, come together in the war, and I think for them it was the Korean War, and they bought a farm in Southern. Oregon, and they had been together 50-some years. And it was the war that brought them together. Mm -hmm. So good things do happen. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, when you do research, it's hard not to see those. And those yes. are what really gives me hope for what's happening now. Well, and, and I didn't... It's so easy to fall into the darkness. It but, is. Uh, once you start seeing the good stuff, it is all around you. <laughs> I totally agree. And that's that's one of the great things about this book is the fact that you've given us lots of characters that we can root for. There is there is some there are lots of lies, there's lots of deception, there are some murders, but there's a community and you give us a community that is so beautiful that I want to see more of it. So will there be a third? Yes, there's will be a third and a fourth. Uh, well, hello, I like it. I I know. I like it, too. I turned in the rough draft of the third. I just got back an editorial letter. Um, and so that'll be out next October. And then another one the year after that. And I'm hoping for more. But, uh, you know, I don't I, I, I we need to see how these first four do. So everyone just go out and buy, you know, two, three hundred copies. And it'll be, then I'll definitely get those fifth, sixth, seventh books. <laughs> I totally agree. And and just to sort of toot your horn a little bit, I believe this year you will have three new out. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I have three books out this year. It's been a long year. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of, hopefully a lot of good exposure, Lev. I'm so excited for you. Again, the book is called The Bell and the Fog. Do you have a website or social media you would like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on social media at Lev A.C. Rosen, one word, no periods, no spaces, except on Facebook where it's just Lev Rosen. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram, but my Instagram does post immediately on my Facebook. So those are the two places you can find me. And then uh, website, levacrosen.com, and you can reach out to me there if you want. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Hang on for me just a second. Sure. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.